This is the road less traveled, presented by Nikki Shay. G'day everyone, it's Nikki. Welcome to this week's edition of the Road Less Travelled podcast and a warm welcome to you as well if you're joining us for the very first time. What's it all about? Well, stay tuned. We'll tell you a little bit more on that in just a moment. For those regular listeners, thank you so much for your company. We really appreciate it. Your feedback as well. And a big thank you too to the team at Radio Bayside for uh, streaming this uh, podcast series. We really appreciate their continued support of the show to Artie Stevens. Thank you very much indeed. If you'd like to follow the show on social media, you can do that through uh, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and you can check us out on the Roadless Travel Podcast 2021 on Instagram and, of course, on Facebook, and check out all the episodes of the show and a bit more about what we do with our um, production of the show through Fat Cat Media and that website, fatcatmedia.com.au. And as always, you can drop me an SMS or give me a phone call if you want on 0427528467. Love to grab your feedback. And if, as always, as I say to you, if you've got an upcoming trip, you've just done a trip, drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you and uh, learn your little bit of your inspiration as well. And I've been watching a couple of um, adventures around Australia that people have been doing about the big lap of Australia. And it's um, just fascinating the amount of people now that are just selling up and going off traveling. Um, I think COVID really put a lot of things in perspective for people. If that's you out there and you're listening to us, drop us a line. Let us know where you are. Um, Where's your focal point at the moment um, and how you're going on the road. We'd love to hear from you. This week, though, I thought we'd head north um, to Darwin in the Northern Territory to commemorate the 80th anniversary of the bombing of Darwin. So if you've never been there, Darwin is the capital city of the Northern Territory. The city is known as Garamilla to the traditional owners of the area, the Larrakia people, a word which refers to the white stone found in the area. With an estimated population of about 147,000 people and growing, the city contains the majority of the residents of the sparsely populated Northern Territory. It is the smallest, wettest and most northerly of the Australian capital cities that serves as the top ends regional centre. Darwin's proximity to Southeast Asia makes the city's location a key link between Australia and countries such as Indonesia and East Timor. The Stewart Highway begins in Darwin, extends southerly across central Australia through Tennant Creek, Alice Springs, concluding in Port Augusta in South Australia. The city of Darwin is built upon a low bluff overlooking Darwin Harbour. Darwin suburbs begin at Lee Point in the north and stretch to Berrima in the east. The Stewart Highway extends to Darwin's eastern satellite city of Palmerston and its suburbs. If you've never been, the Darwin region, like much of the top end, experiences a real tropical climate with a wet and dry season, a period known locally as the build-up leading up to Darwin's wet season, sees temperatures and humidity increase. Darwin's wet season typically arrives in late November to early December and brings with it heavy monsoonal downpours, spectacular lightning displays and increased cyclone activity. During the dry season, the city has clear skies and mild sea breezes from the harbour. Now, the Greater Darwin area is the ancestral home of the Larrakia people. Um, On the 9th of September 1839, HMS Beagle sailed into Darwin Harbour during its survey of the area. 
John Clements Wickham named the region Port Darwin in honour of the former shipmate Charles Darwin, who had sailed with him on the ship's previous voyage, which had had ended in October 1836. The settlement there became the town of Palmerston in 1869, but it was renamed Darwin in 1911. The city has almost entirely rebuilt four times following devastation caused by the 1897 cyclone, a 1937 cyclone, the Japanese air raids during World War II, and Cyclone Tracy in 1974. The pre-20th century of Darwin, the Aboriginal people of the Larrakia language group are the traditional custodians and earliest known inhabitants of the Greater Darwin area. Their name for the area is Garamilla, meaning white stone, referring to the colour of the rock found in the area. Now, they had trading routes with Southeast Asia and imported goods from as far afield as South and West Australia, establishing songlines penetrated throughout the country, allowing stories and histories to be told and retold along the routes. The extent of the shared songlines and history of multiple clan groups with this, within this area is sometimes contestable. The Dutch, though, they visited Australia's northern coastline in 1600s and landed on the Tiwi Islands only to be repelled by the Tiwi people. The Dutch created the first European maps of the area, and this accounts for the Dutch names in the area too, such as Arnhem Land and Groot Eland. The first British person to see Darwin Harbour appears to have been Lieutenant John Lord Stokes of HMS Beagle on 9th of September 1839. The ship's captain, Commander John Clements Wickham, named that port after Darwin himself, the British naturalist who'd sailed with them both in the second expedition of the Beagle. By 1863, the Northern Territory was transferred from New South Wales to South Australia, and in 1864, South Australia sent B.T. Finnis North as the government resident to survey, and he found a capital for its new territory. He chose a site at Escape Cliffs near the entrance to Adelaide River, about 60 kilometres northeast of the modern-day city. This attempt, though, was short-lived, and the settlement abandoned by 1865. In early 1869, George Goiter, uh, the Survey General of South Australia, established a small settlement of 135 people at Port Darwin between Fort Hill and the Escarpment. He named the settlement Palmerston after the British Prime Minister, Lord Palmerston. In 1870, the first poles for the Overland Telegraph were erected in Darwin, connecting Australia to the rest of the world. The discovery of gold by employees of the Australian Overland Telegraph Line digging holes for telegraph poles at Pine Creek in the 1880s spawned a gold rush which further boosted the young colony's development. By February 1872, the brigantine Alexandra was the first private vessel to sail from an English port directly to Darwin, carrying people, many of whom were coming to the recent gold finds. In 1875, Darwin's white population had grown to approximately 300 because of that gold rush, and by February 1875, SS Gothenburg left Darwin en route for Adelaide. The approximately 88 passengers and 34 crew included government officials, circuit court judges, Darwin residents taking their first furlough, and miners too. Whilst travelling south along the North Queensland coast, the Gothenburg encountered a cyclone-strength storm and was wrecked on a section of the Great Barrier Reef, where only 22 men survived, while between 98 and 112 people perished. Many passengers who perished were Darwin residents, and news of the tragedy severely affected the small community, which reportedly took several years to recover. By the 1870s, relatively large numbers of Chinese began to settle, at least temporarily, in the Northern Territory. Many of these were contracted to work the goldfields and later build the Palmerston to Pine Creek Railway. 
By 1888, there were 6,122 Chinese in the Northern Territory, mostly in or around Darwin. And these early Chinese settlers were mainly from the Guangdong province in South China. However, at the end of the 19th century, anti-Chinese feelings grew in response to the 1890s economic depression and, of course, the White Australia policy, which meant that many Chinese had left the territory. However, some families did stay. They became British subjects and established a commercial base in Darwin. Now, the Northern Territory was initially settled and administered by South Australia until it was transferred to the Commonwealth in 1911. In the same year, the city's official name changed from Palmerston to Darwin. The period between 1911 and 1919 was filled with political turmoil, particularly with the trade union unrest, which culminated on the 17th of December 1918. Led by Harold Nelson, some 1,000 demonstrators marched to Government House at Liberty Square in Darwin, where they burnt an effigy of the administrator of the Northern Territory, John Giroth, and demanded his resignation. The incident became known as the Darwin Rebellion. Their grievances were against the two main Northern Territory employers, which was Vestey's Meatworks and the Federal Government. Both Gilroth and the Vestey Company left Darwin soon afterwards. On the 18th of October 1918, during the Spanish flu pandemic, the SS Mataram sailing from Singapore with infectious diseases arrived in Darwin. Around 10,000 Australian and other Allied troops around, uh, arrived in Darwin at the outset of World War II to defend Australia's northern coastline. And on the 19th of February 1942, at 9.57am, 188 Japanese warplanes attacked Darwin in two waves. It was the same fleet that had just bombed Pearl Harbour through a considerably larger number of bombs were d- dropped on Darwin than on Pearl Harbour. The attack killed at least 243 people and caused immense damage to the town, airfields and aircraft too. These were by far the most serious attacks on Australia in time of war in terms of fatalities and damage as well. These were the first of many air raids on Darwin. single attack on Australian soil, but for many the bombing of Darwin remains a silent legacy. Nobody says anything about what happened in Darwin, and Darwin was a battle. Ask the blokes that were in the ships, they're being pounded. That snippet of audio was taken from 2012, and they were doing the 70th commemoration of the bombing of Darwin with one of the survivors, John Mulholland, of the time who sadly has since passed away. When we come back, we're going to talk about what actually went down during this time in 1942. Back with more in just a moment. You're listening to the Road Less Travelled Podcast with me, Nikki Shea. The Road Less Travelled Podcast is a proudly Australian, fiercely independent podcast hosted and produced by me, Nikki Shea, for Fat Cat Media. We receive no corporate payments, which means we rely on self-sufficient financial support. If you can and are able to, we would love you to support us via Patreon. Listen to the Road Less Travel podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and iHeartRadio. Welcome back. You're listening to the Road Less Travel podcast this week, coming to you from Darwin and in particular the 80th anniversary of the bombing of Darwin, also known as the Battle of Darwin, on the 19th of February 1942. It was the largest single attack ever mounted by a foreign power in Australia. 
On that day, 242 Japanese aircraft in two separate raids attacked the town, ships in Darwin's harbour and the town's two airfields in an attempt to prevent the Allies from using them as bases to contest the invasion of Timor and Java during World War II. Darwin then was lightly defended relative to the size of the attack and the Japanese inflicted heavy losses upon Allied forces at little cost to themselves. The urban areas of Darwin also suffered some damage from the raids and there were a number of civilian casualties. More than half of Darwin's civil population left the area permanently before or immediately after the attack. The two Japanese air raids were the first and largest of more than 100 air raids against Australia during 1942-43. So Darwin, as we know, whilst the capital of the Northern Territory, was a small town with limited civil and military infrastructure. Due to its strategic position in northern Australia, the Royal Australian Navy and the Royal Australian Air Force had constructed bases near the town in the 1930s and early years of the war. Darwin's pre-war population was around 5,800. Now, as early as August in 1941, Darwin had been a key in the South Pacific Air Ferry Route, designed to avoid routes through the Japanese mandate in the Central Pacific for bomber reinforcements of the Philippines. The first flight to use the route occurred when nine B-17D bombers of the 14th Bombardment Squadron left Hawaii on the 5th of September and passed through Darwin on the 10th to 12th of September. By October 1941, plans were underway to position fuel and supplies with two ships, including USAT Don Esteban being chartered and actively engaged in that purpose when war came. By November 1941, Australia had agreed to allow the establishment of training bases, maintenance facilities, munitions, storage, communications and improvement of airfields, including at Darwin, to meet the needs of the B-17 bombers in Australia. So following the outbreak of the Pacific War in early December 1941, Darwin's defences were somewhat strengthened. In line with plans developed before the war, several Australian Army and RWF units stationed in the town, they were sent to the Netherlands East Indies, or the Dutch East Indies, to strengthen the defences of the islands of Ambon and Timor. There was an improvised plan for the support of the Philippines and the Dutch East Indies, and that was completed in Washington on the 20th of December 1941 by the US Army General Staff. It had envisaged Darwin as the hub of the transshipment efforts to supply those forces by landing supplies at Brisbane, shipping them overland to Darwin and onward by air and blockade running ships. I guess we can say that in reality, transport to Darwin by sea was necessary. The supplies and shipping intended to both build the Darwin base and to also support the Java and Philippines forces were gathering in Darwin and in the vicinity. So in the two months before the actual air raids, all but 2,000 civilians were evacuated from the town. Japanese submarines, uh, there was L-121 and L-123, they laid actual laid mines off Darwin in January 1942. So by mid-February 1942, Darwin now had become an important allied base for the defence of the Dutch East Indies. The Japanese had captured Ambon, Borneo and Celebrez between December 41 and early 1942. The landings on Timor, they were scheduled for the 20th of February and the invasion of Java, that had been planned to take place shortly afterwards. So in order to protect those landings from Allied interference, the Japanese military command, they decided to conduct a major air raid on Darwin. On the 10th of February, a Japanese reconnaissance aircraft, it overflew the town and identified an aircraft carrier, which was actually the seaplane tender USS Langley, 
five destroyers and 21 merchant ships in Darwin Harbour, as well as 30 aircraft and the town's two airfields. Among the ships in the harbour that day were those returned the morning before the attack from the convoy that escorted the USS Houston, which involved in a failed effort to reinforce Timor. So Houston had departed for Java, but had left Manatloa and Meigs, which had attempted to transport Australian ships to Tim- uh, Australian sh- troops rather to Timor, and the U.S. Army transport Portma and Tulagi, which had embarked a U.S. infantry re- uh, regiment at Darwin. So the opposing forces. Despite Darwin's strategic importance to the defence of Australia, the city was poorly defended. The Australian Army's anti-aircraft defences comprised of 16 QF 3.7-inch AA guns and two, that's two, 3-inch AA guns to counter aircraft flying at high altitude and a small number of Lewis guns for use against low-flying raiders. The crews of these guns had conducted little recent training due to the ammunition shortages. The Air Force stationed in and near the town comprised No. 12 Squadron, which was equipped with the Wirraway Advanced Trainers, which had been pressed into service as fighters, and the No. 13 Squadron, which operated the Lockheed Hudson Light Bombers. There were six Hudsons, three from the No. 2 Squadron and three from No. 13 Squadron, who had arrived in Darwin on the 19th of February after having been evacuated from Timor. None of the six Wirraways at Darwin on the day of the raid were serviceable. At the time of the event, there were no functional radar to provide any early warning of air raids and the town's civil defences, they were dysfunctional. The low commission, which was appointed to investigate the raid shortly after they occurred, was informed that the Australian military estimated that Darwin would have needed 36 heavy anti-aircraft guns and 250 fighter aircraft to defend it against a raid of the scale which occurred on the 19th of February. In addition to the Australian forces, 10 United States Army Air Forces, Curtis P-40 Warhawks, were passing through Darwin en route to Java on the day of the attack. The P-40 pilots, though, were largely inexperienced in combat. A total of 65 Allied warships and merchant vessels were in Darwin Harbour at the time of the raids. The warships included the United States Navy destroyer Puri and seaplane tender William B. Preston. The Royal Australian Navy ships in port were the sloops Swan and Warrigo, Corvettes Deloraine and Katoomba, Auxiliary Minesweepers Gunbar and Tolga, Patrol Boat Kungula, Depot Ship Platypus, Examination Vessel was Southern Cross, there was a, lug- a lugger there called the Navy and four boom net ships. Several United States Navy and Australian troop ships were in the harbour along with a number of merchant vessels in varying sizes. Most of the ships in the harbour were anchored near each other, making them just an easy target for air attack. Moreover, though, no plans had been prepared of how the ships should respond in an air raid. So in addition to the vessels that were in the port, the American Army supply ships the Don Istero and Florence D, former Philippines vessels acquired as part of the Southwest Pacific Area Command's permanent army fleet earlier in February. They were near Bathurst Island bound for the Philippines with arms and supplies on the morning of the raid. Darwin was attacked by aircraft flying from aircraft carriers and land bases in the Dutch East Indies. The main force involved in the raid was the 1st Carrier Air Fleet, which was commanded by Vice Angle Nagamu. This force comprised the aircraft carriers, there was three, uh, four of them rather, and a powerful force of escorting surface ships. All four carriers had participated in the attack on Pearl Harbor at the start of the Pacific War. 
In addition to the carrier-based aircraft, 54, that's 54 land-based bombers also struck Darwin in a high-level bombing raid nearly two hours after the first one struck just before 10am. These comprise 27 bombers flying from Ambon and another 27 Betty bombers operating from the Kendrari in the Celebrities. So the first raid, the four Japanese aircraft carriers launched 188 aircraft on the morning of the 19th of February. The main objective of their crews was attacking ships and port facilities in Darwin Harbour. The aircraft comprised 81 of the Kate Light bombers, 71 of the Vell Dive bombers and an escort of the 36 Mitsubishi Zero fighters. While the B-5N was a purpose-built torpedo bomber, it could instead carry up to 800 kilograms of bombs and there was no evidence of torpedoes actually being used on this occasion. The D-3A could carry up to 514 kilograms of bombs. All of these aircraft were launched at 8.45am. The wave was led by Commander Misu Fujita, who had also commanded the first wave of attacks during the raid on Pearl Harbour. On their way to Darwin, Zero shot down a US Navy PBY Catalina. They also strafed a C-47 Skytrain on the ground near Melville Island. At 9.35am, Father McGrath of the Sacred Heart Mission on Bathurst Island, who was also an Australian coast watcher, he sent a message using a pedal radio to the amalgamated wireless postal radio station at Darwin, and he said that a large number of aircraft were flying overhead and proceeding southward. That message was then relayed to the Royal Australian Air Force operations at 9.37am. There was no general alarm given until about 10am as the RAAF officers there wrongly judged that the aircraft which had been sighted were 10 of the United States P-40s which were returning to Darwin at the time after reports of bad weather had forced them to abort a flight to Java. As a result, the air raid sirens at Darwin were not sounded before the raid. Flying escort in a Zero fighter, there was a petty officer, Naganamo, who was separated from his squadron while he was attacking the Catalina flying boat and arrived over the city alone ahead of the strike force, which was making a turn to attack from the south. He engaged five P-40 Warhawk fighters and single-handedly shot down four of them. So by 9.58am, the Japanese raiders were beginning to arrive over Darwin. HMAS Gunbar was the first ship to be attacked, being strafed by several Zero fighters. At about this time, the town's air raid sirens were bleatingly sounded. The Japanese bombers then conducted dive bombing and level bombing attacks on the ships in Darwin Harbour. These attacks lasted for 30 minutes and the result in the sinking of three warships and six merchant vessels and damage to another 10 ships. The ships sunk were the USS Peary, HMAS Navy, the United States MiGs, MV Neptuna, which exploded while docked at Darwin's main wharf, the Zealandia, SS Mona Loya, MV British Motorist. The oil tanker Carolee and the coal storage hulk Calat sank later, and at least 21 labourers working on the wharf were killed when it was bombed. All but one of the P-40s of Major Floyd Pell's 33rd Pursuit Squadron was shot down or destroyed on the ground at Darwin by the Japanese, and the Japanese aircraft bombed and strafed the base and civil airfield as well as the town's army barracks and oil store. All of these facilities were seriously damaged. The bombers began leaving Darwin around 10.10am on their way back to the carriers. Their crew noted two Philippine-registered freighters lying just outside the port the Florence D and the Don Isterito. This information contributed to planning for the second raid that afternoon, which would go on to, sank, uh, to sink rather both of these vessels. 
Japanese losses may have been as few as five aircraft and three crew. However, another 34 Japanese aircraft landed safely with battle damage. The second wave was made up of 54 land-based medium bombers uh, that arrived over Darwin just before midday. The town's air raid sirens were sounded at 11.58am when the bombers were sighted and the Japanese force separated into two groups flying over uh, at 18,000 feet. One of these formations attacked the RAAF base in Darwin from the southwest while the other approached from the northeast. The two formations arrived over the base at the same time and dropped their bombs simultaneously. The Japanese bombers then turned and made a second attack on the base. Due to defective fuses, the Australian heavy anti-aircraft flak gunners were unable to shoot down or damage any of the high-flying Japanese aircraft, and these bombers left the Darwin area at about 12.20pm. This raid inflicted extensive damage to the RAAF base through casualties, though, were light. Of the RAAF aircraft at the base, six Hudson light bombers were destroyed and another Hudson and a Wirraway were badly damaged. Two American P-40s and a B-24 Liberator bomber were also destroyed. Six RAAF personnel were killed and Lewis and Ingman list 30 aircraft destroyed there. The Japanese carrier force launched a small number of D-3A dive bombers during the afternoon of the 19th of February to attack the Florence D and the Don Isterado. And the Don Isterado was the first of these two ships to be attacked. It was rapidly sunk 40 kilometres north of Melville Island. 11 of her 84-strong crew were killed. The dive bombers again tacked the Florence D and sank her off Bathurst Island with the loss of four crewmen. All of the survivors from the Don Isterito were rescued by the Corvette HMAS Warrnambool on the 20th of February. Some of Florence D's survivors landed at Bathurst and Melville Islands while the remainder were rescued by the Warrnambool on the 23rd of February. Along the survivors of the Florence D were the rescued crew of a U.S. Navy PBY piloted then by Thomas H. Moore later to become chairman of the U.S. Joint Staff. So as I said earlier, more bombs were dropped on Darwin than were at Pearl Harbor. And the Japanese raid was unlike the attack on Pearl Harbor in that it was launched against a nation that had already declared war on Japan on the 8th of December '41. It was a similar in that it was a successful aerial surprise attack on a naval target that came as a great shock to the attack nation. While the number of bombs dropped on Darwin, 681 bombs weighing 114,100 kilos, they exceeded those dropped on Pearl Harbor. Though they say 457 bombs, including two, uh, 40 rather, including 40 torpedoes weighing 133,560 kilograms, were dropped uh, on Pearl Harbor. Of course, the Loss of life was much greater at Pearl Harbor, more than 2,400 people than Darwin, which they say was around 236 people, due to the presence of capital ships and the catastrophic loss of a single battleship, the USS Arizona, and its 1,177 men. A frequently repeated myth is that the Australian government downplayed the damage from the bombing rains on Darwin in a cover-up. The newspapers of the day disprove this claim, though. On the day of the attack, the Prime Minister is quoted on the front pages of major Australian newspapers saying damage to property was considerable, but reports so far to hand do not give precise particulars of the loss of life. The government regards the attacks as most grave and makes it quite clear that a severe blow has been struck on Australian soil. It was indeed. After that, there was further Japanese raids after the 19th of February on the Northern Territory, and parts of WA's north were also bombed approximately 100 times between the 4th of March 1942 and the 12th of November 1943. 
One of the heaviest attacks took place on the 16th of June 1942 when a Japanese force set fire to the oil fuel tanks around the harbour and inflicted severe damage to the vacant banks, stores and railway yards. The Allied navies largely abandoned the naval base at Darwin after that initial 19th of February attack, dispersing most of their forces to Brisbane, Fremantle and other smaller seaports. Conversely, Allied air commanders launched a build-up in the Darwin area, building more airfields and deploying many squadrons. So obviously Darwin has changed considerably in 80 years since the bombing of Darwin by the Japanese. With everything from Asian food markets, crocodile encounters to open-air movies and sunset cruises, Darwin is an easy-going and it's an exciting city as well. It's the unhurried capital, I guess, with its balmy nights, colourful characters, outdoor adventures, as well as markets, as I mentioned, crocodiles, cruises. You'll find a very strong Aboriginal culture here as well. And there's an array of languages spoken in the streets and the vibrant Aboriginal art that fills the city's galleries, museums and streetscapes. The city's proximity to Asia means that you'll also find strong Asian influence, especially in the energetic food scene and the buzzing night markets. The top things to do in Darwin, well, jump on to australia.com.au and head to Darwin. You can also jump on to um, the, the Darwin um, Visitors Information Centre too. You can go crazy for crocodiles. You can get a closer look at a saltwater crocodile uh, by jumping on one of the many croc cruises to get your heart racing on a diving encounter as well. Despite your da- the safe distance, you'll feel their power as they leap, snap and roll. They jump out, they massive creatures that jump out of the water they have uh, feeding as well you can explore the museums and galleries from the legendary sweetheart which is a large crocodile specimen to traditional and contemporary darwin art Um, the aboriginal art was certainly impressed the city is also home to incredible street art and um, you can experience that too places to eat and uh, drink there's plenty of them bars pubs there's um, cheap eats as well and of course um, you can jump on and go and have a picnic down by the beach as well make sure you plan your trip where to stay in darwin get how to get around Um, you can also jump on the plane and from your local capital city head up to darwin too there's plenty of uh, flights available things like the parrot markets there's chocolate workshops that can be done uh, during the month of february the bike carnivals on the 30th of march there's a million dollar fish season seven on the 18th of february as well so make sure that you jump onto australia.com darwin and surrounding areas it's a guide to darwin and it's got plenty of information on where you can stay as well there's caravan parks located not too far from uh, darwin as well in the um, suburbs and of course plenty of five star four star accommodation too if you choose and plenty of motels bmps as well so make sure that you do put darwin on your bucket list but today it was more about the uh, commemoration of 80 years since the bombing of Darwin in World War II. Of course, lest we forget. That's all for this week's show. Thank you so much for your company. Hope you've enjoyed it. Love to grab your feedback. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, my name is Nikki Shea. Thanks so much for listening to the Road Less Travel podcast, and I hope to catch you somewhere out there on the Road Less Travel. Bye for now. I've been everywhere. Thanks for listening. The Road Less Travelled is presented by Nikki Shea and produced by Fat Cat Media. Music